Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Tonight should be proved very interesting. We have an interesting question that came up, something that affects pretty much everybody who's listening. I got a call on Thursday night from somebody whom I know, and he had a question, and the question tied into somebody who would call him, and the lady was calling from Lakewood. I was speaking to Brooklyn, and he was speaking to Lakewood. And she didn't, had never, did not call me up, but he was calling in the middle, and I got involved, and now we're trying to continue the conversation between the woman and myself. The situation is that she had uh, a product that came with a national, a well-known distributor of kosher foods, one that everybody would recognize, the name they would all recognize, but I wouldn't mention it, just cast aspersions for, for, for no good reason at all. And the product was from Israel. Product from Israel, it's a uh, cauliflower, frozen cauliflower, comes from Israel under the hashkocha of the badats of the Eid Haredes. So I don't know how close you are to what's going on in Israel, but the badats of the Eid is very, very high in, in the level of kashras in the world. And the product is a frozen product. Now, uh, this kind of product, cauliflower, by its very nature, can tend to have insects in it. But this was greenhouse grown and the problem wasn't that there were any insects found in the cauliflower, which was sort of close to impossible because you'd have to defrost it and examine each piece and cut it, dissect it into little pieces. It would be almost impossible to find any insects inside the cauliflower and no one would ever check. They would just take the cold, the product that's frozen, maybe they defrost it a little bit and then they throw it into whatever they're cooking. And that's probably how they use it. Maybe sometimes they defrost it. In any event, in this particular case, she found a fly. A single fly, but a fly. Now, a fly is not an insect. They were calling me up because they were concerned, you know, maybe the dots, this, that, the other thing. And I told them right away, a fly, fly is different. A fly can get in into anything. Because flies are ubiquitous, they get found everywhere. Uh, every facility is going to have some flies in it. The best that they can do, you know, is try to kill insects when they're in there, hang something down from the ceiling and trap it, and this, maybe a zapper. But whatever it is, it's a fly, and flies come in. They come in very quickly. With the insects that are, found, that are prevented by the greenhouse, that's because where you're growing your product, if you don't have a, any way for a host, a, say a, a pest to come in onto the host, then he's not going to get in. So if you guard the area around the greenhouse with doors and, uh, and, and you make sure that the, whenever something is open, it was quickly closed, and you, you're very careful not to leave it anything exposed to outside the greenhouse, you could control the greenhouse as far as what's growing in the greenhouse. But to keep out flies, I personally think, is almost impossible. In any event, uh, it's not the same as something that grows in there. 
So I asked them, uh, on the packaging, did it say the name of the company that makes it? No. Did it say any instructions that you have to do before you use the product? Because a lot of products that come from Israel, especially with the, the badats or serious hashkocha, they'll tell you that you have to wash. Let's say, for example, you're buying lettuce that comes in a bag, and, it, and, it, and they did whatever they could do in Eretz Israel. They grew it separately. They made sure there's nothing going to be in the, in, the, uh, in the product itself. What they'll do is, what they'll try to do is to make sure that, uh, that people don't get the flies. They'll tell you that you have to wash off the product. It's true that you bought it. It's greenhouse grown. It's been checked in whatever level they can do. the sample checking and there's ways that they preserve that no insects got into the growing. But as far as flies getting in, they know there are flies. So on the packages of lettuce, you will find, especially from Eretz Israel, you have to wash it off. Even though it has five hashkachas, but you must wash it off. So the person feels, I have to wash it off, means they didn't do their homework. The answer is no, we can't stop the flies. The flies are going to come in. And therefore, what we're going to do is tell you to wash it off, and that'll be enough. The trouble is that a frozen product, you're not going to wash off. Um, maybe you should, now that I told you this problem, but it's not the normal thing to do. You take a frozen product, you could throw it in frozen, and you shouldn't have to assume that there's any flies on top of the cauliflower mixed in there. But in the production in the facility, it's very likely that there are flies floating around and they could end up in your food. Could it happen in America? 100%. Israel is a warm climate, and it's more likely. Uh, I'll tell you the way I, my, my own experience. When I was in Eretz Israel about 25 years ago, it's really close, close to 27 years ago, I spent the whole summer working with the badats of the Eid Haredes. I went up and down Israel with them. I saw many of their hashkochas, and I went with the other hashkochas as well. I went with the, uh, the, the Rabbanut Mahadrin of, Rehov, of uh, Yerushalayim and the regular Rabbanut, and I went, because there's two different organizations, I went with Sheiris Yisrael, I went with, um, uh, uh, with, uh, with the, uh, the, the Rabbanut in Rehovot, and a number of hashkochas I saw up close. I went had meetings with uh, the Agudas Yisrael, which is also Hashkocha, etc., etc. And most of the time I spent was with the, the Eid HaRedis, and they used to have a driver come pick me up every day, and we would go out, whatever we're going today, that's we, whatever he, he had to go for his rounds, that's how we went. So I'm going to tell you what happened in my experience about flies. And the reason is because it's relevant to this whole discussion. I remember being in the most famous bakery in Eretz Israel. It's the one that everybody drops. They say, that, they say please get me some from Chalas, please get me some cake from, I'm not going to mention the name, of this bakery. Everybody in Eretz Israel loves this bakery. It's a huge bakery. It's, it's got a fantastic name for a million years. It's, it's, the, it's the in Hashko, in, in place. So I'm in there, and I see the chalas. 
and I see the flies. One fly after another alighting on the challah. Now, did they get trapped on there? No. But they touched it. They were there. I saw it with my own eyes. I almost panicked when I saw how the, the flies were getting on the top of these foods. But that's what it is. That's what happens in a factory. That's what happens in a packing facility. That's the reality. Now, I had the opportunity to go first with somebody from Shevis Yisrael, and he took me around to one of the bakeries that they gave Hashkocha to. And at one point, he went over to uh, the oven, and he pulled out like a drawer that's sort of the bottom of the oven, like a little drawer, and he pulls it out, and he showed me that in there, filled with insects, that somehow they draw them in when they're floating into the oven, or right before the oven, or they're floating around the, uh, the breads, or whatever it is, and they end up in this thing. It's a trap to catch them. Uh, how, they, how they end up there, I don't remember. And, uh, but it was, it was real. There were plenty of bugs there. And he cleans it out, and he says, it'll fill up again, and then we go on. And he says, by the way, when you go with the badats of the Ada, because he knew I was going to go with them, see what they do. So I, I made a mental note, and I went uh, another time with, uh, the, to this famous factory, which I'm not going to mention the name, the famous bakery, biggest one in Israel, I think. And uh, we go in there, and he takes the mashkiach, Rabbi Scheinberger, Rabbi Yosef Scheinberger, takes me all around the facility. And I said to him, but I didn't see you didn't clean out that tray. He said, what tray? I said, but there's one in the bottom of this uh, oven. He said, what are you talking about? And I went over to the oven, pulled this tray, opened it up, and it's filled with insects. And he looked at it. He couldn't believe it. How would you know that? Because I had never been in Eretz Israel, and I had never done, I don't do hashgachas, but they had tri- they had <laughs> trained me over there in Shavis that this is a place you have to check and see how they're they're working with that if they're, if they're getting caught and uh, and how many there are in the facility whatever the deal is this was part of the inspection process and now I'm sure that the Shavis people know about it but that's the, I'm sorry the, uh, the the Badats people know about it that's just an experience that I had but. Definitely, there were so many different flies at that particular facility. So it reminds me of a story that uh, is a very important story. I'm going to tell it in just one moment. This story goes back to the early ni- 1980s when we were in, involved with the yeshiva Birkas Ruvain. It was the yeshiva that I started. We had uh, Rabbi Asher Zim in Zatzal was the Magid Shir in, in Halacha. And uh, toward your day, we had this wonderful group. We had the uh, yeshiva for about 17, 18 years until the Rav passed away. Uh, Rosh Yeshiva was Rav Shamshim Brodsky. I was the Menayel, and Rav Zimmon was the Magid Shirin in Halacha. So it seems that Rabbi Pinchas David Horowitz, the Chusta Rav, who just passed away, that uh, is the son of. Uh, the uh, Levi Yitzchak Horowitz, the, the, the Boston Rebbe from Boston. Uh, this was the Chusterov who, who took over for his father-in-law in Borough Park for his Chust. And he was asked to give Hashgacha on a new company that was coming out called Yerek. 
I don't know whatever happened, if it's still going on. I haven't uh, heard about them in a number of years. But at that time, he was giving Hashkacha. He was asked to give Hashkacha on Yerek. And the Hashkacha was going to be on vegetables. Frozen vegetables, by by simple vegetables, but nothing about cauliflower and all that stuff. Not, at that point, he was talking only about simple vegetables that may have a uh, an insect is, issue, but they were much milder than the things that we're talking about today that we're giving hashgacha. People were giving hashgacha. In any event, that was his his hashgacha. Who's going to take it over? And he wanted to meet us. I think the way I remember the story. He wanted to get Rav Usher Zimmerman's approval. I don't know if it was going to be publicized anywhere, but he wanted to have Rav Usher Zimmerman's approval. And he knew me, and I, he asked me to set it up, because I was close with the, with the Boston editor from Boston, and he asked me to set up a meeting where he was going to come and explain to us about the Hashkacha. So I do not remember the entire meeting but what I do remember is that he presented whatever he wanted to do, and it sounded to me very plausible. That sounded to me like it's an improvement on the situation, and I was a little upbeat about the idea. And uh, the Rav Zatzal, Rav, Rav Zim and Zatzal, listened to everything, and then at the end, Rav, uh, the Chus the Rav asked him what he thought, and Rav Zim and says. How can you give hashkocha? How can you give hashkocha? Even if you're careful about how the product is grown, even if you check the product and you have some kind of chazaka that you're making, but how can you, how can you guarantee that in the facility there are not going to be insects there, especially flies? So I remember that story because it, he hit the nail on the head. It, he said it's impossible. He, did feel, he felt any hashgacha was impossible because there naturally have to be flies in the facility or other insects in the facility, in the packing facility. How are you going to maintain a control on the packaging that nothing goes wrong? You know, you talk about mass production. You're not talking about one from Jew putting something in a bag. It's something that's going on with a system that's moving, and there are possibly insects in the facility. It's, it's technically impossible to guarantee that there are no insects in there, and how could you put your name on it? And no matter what the Chusta Rav would say, Rav Zimim was adamant. I don't know if Rav Zimim would be masking to any of the Hashgachas that exist today on vegetables, even the ones that all my listeners are happy with. I don't know if he would accept any of them because he felt you have a responsibility to check these products yourself. Uh, if, it's, if the Chazal said that if you're finding a certain amount of bugs per, in other words, uh, one out of ten, whatever that is, uh, ten what? Ten bags, ten heads, but okay, whatever, whatever we decide the the, the thing is with the unit we're trying to discuss, but once you find one out of ten, then it's mechuyiv in bedika. If it has to have a bedika, then relying on chazakas and, uh, and some kind of hashkocha on, on oversight from a distance, etc., it doesn't work. It could work for a tuna fish factory, maybe, 
even as long as you're checking the, uh, the, 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 for the fish. And it could work in a peanut uh, butter facility, but it, it ca- how could it work for vegetables where the smallest little bug could get into the bag? He felt absolutely it was beyond an ability to do hashkacha. So I'm not going to go through the details, but it seems that the first batch of that particular product that they were running for Yerek did not work out well. They found insects in it. They, eventually, they got it up and running properly, and they were happy with it. I don't know if it's the company still on it or not. I don't know. But the Zimmerman's approach was you cannot guard against some insects like flies. They're just ubiquitous. They're always there, and it's just going to have to be some, some getting into some bags. And how could you put your name on it? So that really takes the, uh, the, takes the whole thing into a different perspective. So now this woman is in Lakewood, and the, the rabbi that I was speaking to is in Brooklyn. He's calling me up. And I said, I want to know if, the name of the factory, where they're getting it from. This is a national distributor for here in America, but it comes from a factory in Israel. So, so far... I, finished the product, the whole story isn't over yet, but so far we haven't been able to see the packaging, and uh, they were supposed to drop it off, and they didn't drop it off, and we're trying to get a, get the copy of the pack, we try to get the package itself and the insect, but so far we haven't gotten it. But in the interim, I sent an email to the Badats of the Edecharedes, and quick as, a, as possible, they responded, send me a, a picture of the package and of the insect because he wants to investigate. So they were mamish on top of it immediately. Uh, it, it means a lot to them, and that's why I'm going to try to actually get the package, go through the whole process, and, and maybe we'll be able to find out where it's being produced, and maybe they'll be able to tighten up the situation over there. My own feeling is, like, whenever these things come up, at what's my takeaway my takeaway is that if you have such a product that is, uh, because of its nature, lends itself to having insects in it, even this, even this kind of thing called the fly, which is something we said we can't prevent, then it, it behooves all of us to take a peek. When we open up something, just a peek before we throw it right into something else. That, it, it's always a good idea. I remember the story, not even one story, it was a, there are a million stories like this, but I remember one in particular which took place with, uh, with, with uh, cereals. And in the cereal they were finding marshmallows. Not hundreds of them, thousands of them, but every once in a while they would find some marshmallows. I called up one of the uh, kosher agencies and told them we found marshmallows in this uh, package of, uh, of uh, cereal. So the, the response from the Hashkocha was, not surprised, every two years or so we, we, we get a story that somebody found marshmallows. So I said, well, 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 what do you mean every couple of years it happens? Why? So he said, because we use the same machinery as the treif uh, cereal for the kosher cereal. So then, you know, how do you know it's, how can you always call it kosher? Well, they're supposed to clean it out. And they do it pretty well, but sometimes not perfectly.
that means that all the kosher cereals, I mean, not all the not all companies are producing with with marshmallows, but any company that's using marshmallows is probably using the same equipment for filling the bags for when it for when something goes down the chute that is not got marshmallows in it, which means that the marshmallows can get trapped and they can release themselves when another batch hits, which is so supposedly the kosher one. So if this is true, then how could anybody eat any, any cereal that comes from a company that also makes marshmallows? And even though the marshmallows are not in the mix of the cereal itself, it may be added in in the fill when it's going into the packaging, but still it's in that fill, and it can easily get trapped when another batch goes down. So this is a good question, how are we relying on it? And the answer is, we're relying on the majority of the time. That's it. That's it. Well, if you, if you want to, unless you can get uh, a company that makes only kosher. But if you don't have a company that only makes kosher, then this is what you're exposing yourself to. The only thing you could do, and this is what I tell people if they ever ask me, is that you could watch when the, you're pouring in from the box. I didn't say you have to see every Cheerio or Rice Krispie or Corn Flakes hit the, hit the, uh, uh, the bowl of, uh, with the milk in it, but, but I do say that it's smart to look at the package when you're pouring it. And I will say, after this experience, that it does pay to keep your eyes open when you open up any bag just to make sure that the visual inspection of one second is, is enough to see the scan, just to see that there are no obvious insects on it. Reminds me of a story that happened at a Malava Malka that I ran for, for my yeshiva, Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain. Even from the very beginning, because this was, we started in 1980, when this whole thing about the insects was just hitting the fan. And we were very careful at the affairs to make sure that they washed the vegetables, because a lot of times in those days, the, the, the workers in the kitchen wouldn't even wash the vegetables. They just cut them up and throw them in, and that's it. And the question came up with celery. So they, we wanted them to check this, uh, to wash the celery or something like that. In, in any event, what happened was, after getting special people to check that they had done the, the washing of the, of the celery. We had a certain people responsible, and the caterer was helpful, and we made sure that this was done at Amalava Malka. Somebody walked up to me and showed me an insect on the, uh, uh, on the celery. It was a big insect, and, and, and I realized that they were checking the leaves. They were cutting the leaves off. They were careful with this and with that, but the other thing but they never really washed it thoroughly. So that was the way it was in those days. Today, I think most everybody does wash their vegetables properly, even the, in the non-Jews and the, hopefully at all the catered affairs. But here we were trying our best to make sure that this and that was taken care of, the lettuce was taken care of. Maybe that's what the story was. The lettuce was taken care of, was checked. I think that must have been the story. But we didn't think of the celery, and the celery wasn't even washed. 
That's the way. Ha- that's the way things go. You have to try your very, very best. Just to uh, share with you also um, what it was like in those days. We had a situation where Rav Zim and Zatzal, Rosh Zim, and uh, was going to be with us for a, a su'uda that we had. I think it was like a Rosh Chodesh su'uda or something we were making. Maybe the Siyam. I don't know what it was. Something in the yeshiva we'd made a maybe just Hanukkah. We'd had a siyum, we had a, a, we had a su'uda in the yeshiva. And uh, we asked him to stay. And he said it has to be yashin, because he's makped on yashin. Though in those days nobody was makped on yashin. Only very, very few people even knew what it meant and cared about it. Uh, very, very few people were aware of it or careful about it. They were relying on the sveika sveika that we have in chutzlaritz and maybe other things, and nobody was really busy with it. Just yechide skula, only very few individuals. But Rav Zimmer was makpid. So I had to uh, prepare the, get the, uh, get, get somebody to serve it, to bring the food, and the question is, where are we ordering from? And uh, Rav Zimmerman said, I trust you, you know, but I want it to be Yashin. So I didn't know anything about Yashin in those days. And I decided to call up and I asked, is it Yashin? So I asked if it's Yashin. I don't know if the guy hesitated and if he knew what I was talking about, didn't know what he was talking about. But in the end, we got a yes. It was Yashin. So there was one person in the yeshiva, one person we had, who was Makpid on Yashin. One one other Jew, one one bacher. I actually with Talmud. He was a, he was a, he was married already. One married younger man who was learning in the yeshiva, and he was the only other person who was makpid on Yashin at that time. Later on, the, I got involved, and Rav Shiva got involved. But that early days, it was just the Rav Zatzal, Rav Zim Zatzal, and Lavdi Ben Chaim This young man who uh, who, who was makpid on Yashin. So I told him, I got Yashin. The Rav asked me to get Yashin. I got Yashin. He says, how do you know it's Yashin? I mean, how do I know it's Yashin? It's Yashin because they told me it's Yashin. Yeah, but how do you know it is Yashin? Maybe he just told you it's Yashin. So <laughs> I, 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 you know, I said, yeah, yeah, you're questioning them? Maybe this is a very responsible, well-known Hashkocha and I wasn't speaking to the Rav Hamash, I was speaking to one of the workers there, but they were a responsible place, everybody uses them. He said, I don't know. So we had to ask again, and uh, it seems that, that that particular person really didn't know anything about it. And had just said to us, yeah, oh, you want Yashin? Yeah, it's Yashin. If I would have told him I want Treif, he said, yeah, it's Treif. I mean, that's the way it was. It really was out of it, that I didn't realize it at that point, but that's really what happened. And eventually, I believe we found a different place that was definitely Yoshin, and that was solved, solved the problem. Now this young man who uh, was Makbed on Yoshin, it seems that he was very close with uh, a Jew who was major in this area. Uh, there was a there was a, a gentleman by the name of Rabbi Jeffrey Silver. He actually wrote an article for us in Kasha's magazine many years ago, back to that time. Um, Rabbi Silver wrote the article called "A Host's Guide to Yoshin," meaning that you're not Machped on Yoshin because almost nobody was, 
But you might want to have Yashin for a guest. So if, if you want to have for a guest, let me explain to you what, what Yashin is all about and how to preserve it. And we would discuss the halachas and, the, and whatever's needed. So that was a very beautiful article from Rabbi Silver. Rabbi Silver was one of the people who was makbid for uh, since uh, since the sixties uh, was makbid on Yoshin. Since the early the mid sixties, for sure, he was makbid on Yoshin. Very going way 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 back. It seems that he was uh, a student of uh, Rav Yosha Bestalovechik from Yeshiva University. And he learned with him about 10 years. Could be he was more. But he, he learned with him for many, many years after he finished his shear. He stayed to learn with him every day. And, and he'd go to a shear. And he would learn and prepare for the shear. He, he was one of the Talmidim Muvhokim of Rabbi Yeshebe Salvechik. And, and the Jeff, Rabbi Jeffrey Silver was Makbid Gomer on, on Yoshin. And uh, he used to go, he told me, he used to go every day to the Rav with newspapers for articles from the New York Times pointing out the high amount of chadash uh, uh, flour that was out. It was in the field. How much, how much uh, you know, in, the, in being sold, how much uh, more chadash uh, flour there was than the ocean and, and the problem involved with it. And every time he would show it to him, Rav Salvechik would, sometimes he would take it very seriously and say, oh, God, i got to look into this, whatever. And other times he would tell him, basically, it's still a svake, svake. And he, he didn't, he never was interested in, in the in the ocean. But Rav Aaron Salvechik, his brother, who Rabbi Silva knew also, was very mocked on it. And somehow or other, Rabbi Silva caught on to this. And my chaver, who was at that time a Talmud, now he's a chaver, he uh, he caught on to this as well, and that was the beginnings and beginnings of Yoshin. Today it's a big industry, but in those days only Yechide schooler were careful about it. Uh, there was not a single Yoshin bakery. Nobody made Yoshin products at all in New York in those days. Not at all. That was really, really, really early. The only thing you could do was to buy your flour very early and save it. There was no way of, any other way of fulfilling this, except you bought the flour or you bought the barley or you bought whatever it was and stored it in your freezer or whatever. That's the only way that you could keep Yashin back in those days. So we've come a long way, and today it's hard to find a pizza store in New York that's not Yashin. It's hard to find a box of pizza or cookies and things from the Hamish Ashkachas. Everyone says Yoshin, and uh, it's a completely different world. But in those days, those people were the, uh, the pioneers in the, in the topic of Yoshin. And earlier than that, pioneers in Chal of Yisrael. And they're always are pioneers, Baruch Hashem, who are willing to take these different issues on. But back to our situation, the... Uh, the fly in the in the vegetables, so that's something that we have to find out exactly if we can, whether or not uh, which company it's from, and whether things were done properly, or maybe there's some uh, something wrong in the in the, in, the, in the, how it was processed, or you know some way maybe the name got on the way it was incorrect. I don't know. 
The end of the story is not yet. I'd like to discuss with you a number of new issues that came up in Kashrus itself. Uh, mentioning this from, much of this comes from Kosher Graham, which is put out by the uh, Kashrus organization, COR, of Detroit. And Rabbi Beryl Brody puts out this Kosher Graham on a regular basis. It doesn't cost anything. You can get it from the bottom of Detroit. Kosher Graham. So I'd like to share with you some, actually, some of this I have uh, myself, but, I, but uh, since I have this paper in front of me, I'm going to read some of it to you from here. I think that one of the important ones is that uh, the new sun-kissed berry lemonade soda. Not that I have ever seen it, but sun-kissed berry lemonade soda is kosher, even though there's no hashgacha on it. The reason for all these no hashgacha on it, on these kind of things, is because it's either very, very new, and they haven't put the hashgacha on, but the product is kosher. And this happens is the following way. When a new product comes out, you don't get it right away. It's not being sold across America. It's being sold in small quantities to experiment whether people enjoy the product. They, they pick certain regions and put out a certain amount of product in those regions and get the feedback whether the product is appreciated by the people. If it's not, they'll squash it and you won't, you won't even see it yourself ever. If, they, if it's got a good response, then they're going to market it across the United States. They don't put it on in the very, very beginning, and they don't even seek from the very beginning because they, they, they don't want to spend the time and the money and, the, and all the hassle that they have to go through to get it kosher if it's going to go and not be uh, used at all. So they find it easier to, send, to, to use new products in experimental fashion with no eshkacha on it. And they put nothing on it. And this way, you like it, you like it, you don't like it, you don't like it. Obviously, you shouldn't be using it then. Later on, which is what's happening now, the product is becoming uh, well-established. People liked it. So they decided we're going to sell it across the United States. So right now, it does not have any ashkoch on it, on the packaging. You're not even a K, nothing. But as time goes on, you will see whatever's on the regular sun kiss, you'll probably find it on this as well. Now, once that happens... Step two happens is that um, y- you'll find it sometimes with a hashkacha and sometimes without a hashkacha. And the reason for that is because this is a big company and they, they have their product produced in many facilities across the United States. They're called bottling plants. And the company doesn't own them. They may own a few, they may own none. They may just be producing the raw syrup and then having it bottled under license with them in different facilities, and, the, and that company bottles it and sells it and pays a certain royalty, certain amount of money for a certain amount per product of the product that they take from, to the company that produces it. So what's happening is you have a hashkocho on the producer, but not necessarily on the bottler. So what could happen? What could happen is that it runs on the same equipment 
where something else runs. So now let's take a look at what else runs on the same equipment. We're not talking about a wine factory. We're talking about a, a soda a bottling plant. It could also even be with beers. So if a soda is running on this line, now the soda is basically done the same for everybody. You start out with a uh, syrup, and then you add the, uh, the seltzer to it. So when the seltzer is a zero, it's not an issue with kashras. We're talking about plain seltzer, plain carbonated water. And then we, we're putting this, uh, we're putting this uh, uh, syrup in. So if the syrup is under Ashkocha, then the f- finished product is 100% kosher. And everybody in, in the world signs on to what I just told you. And then y- you get a product. Now, if the botany plant has a Ashkocha, it could be the OU, OK, Kof K, Star K. It could be a little rabbi somewhere. It could be a funny symbol. It could just plain, plain K on it. But if there's somebody behind it, you'll see a symbol on the, the bottle, bottle of the, uh, or the K in a bottle of this, for the soda. Now, when I have that, that's the one that stands behind this bottling plant. But it's not necessarily that I'm always going to see that hashgacha. I might sometimes see this Ashkocha, sometimes that, and sometimes no Ashkocha. So if it's a national product like we're talking about, then even if I find it with no Ashkocha on it, it means it was in a plant that had no Ashkocha. But it was licensed from this company, to the Sunkist, whoever makes Sunkist, it was licensed from them in order to be able to run the product. Now, nothing really tastes the same. So basically, no one's going to cheat. Plus the fact they'd find out in a minute because the bottling plant has to put on its code of where, and you know right away which bottling plant it was. So if there was a criminal who was trying to say, I have, I have Pepsi or Coke, and I don't have a Pepsi or Coke in my, in my uh, group of uh, sodas in my plant, then they would be found out right away. No one would do it. It's, a, it's too big a business. You don't have cheating on that level. It's just not worth it. No way ever does it. Never heard it all the years. Could be there is stories. I didn't. I never heard a story. So, so I mean, I can a little store. He might rip you off. A little store might have a sign saying Coke, and it's not Coke, because there are some things that replace it. But he's a small store, and he doesn't think in terms of investment and my inventory and my reputation. He doesn't think about all that. So, but a, but a regular business, a, a bottling company, they're not going to fool around with that. They're going to have a deal with, the, with Coke and deal with Pepsi and, and whoever makes the uh, whoever makes Sunkist is going to have a deal with that, and that's how they're going to operate. So a little bit I helped you to understand how this Sunkist, why now it does not require a kosher symbol. It may be that you will find it with kosher symbols. It may be you will find it in many places with kosher symbols and some places not. This is for this country only because they, there's basically one plant making the syrup for the whole country, whether it's Coca-Cola over here, Pepsi over there, this one 7-Up over here, this one over there, that one there. But wherever it is, they're making one place. Out of the country, they have other producers. We also get into the United States products that come in that are produced elsewhere, not using 
syrup from America. You can get from Canada, you can get from Mexico, you can get today from Japan and from every place under the country, under the world. Everything could come into America today. So you have to see the packaging. It was produced in the United States, and it has one of the major hashgachas, I'm sorry, one major uh, names of, of, of a soda company as the one who's making the syrup, as the main company there, then even though it's bottled so-and-so and doesn't have hashgacha on it, it would be acceptable. That's why Coke, Pepsi, 7-Up, wherever you're going to find in America, when it's produced in America, does not eat hashgacha on the label. And that's what we have here with this sun kiss. So maybe it gives you a little bit of understanding of the background there. The next one's very important. I can't even tell you how important this is. I, 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 I shudder to think what it means. I read it to you word for word, the best I can, because I don't speak other languages. Nori sheets from China. This is a revised Kafka alert. It just, as far as I know, it just changed. They added one more name. Recently, possibly due to the current sort shortage, several brands of nori sheets have been circulating with unauthorized Kafka symbols. Nori is seaweed that's used in making sushi, etc. So uh, this is a very, uh, today, it's a very important product, right? This is uh, one of the most important products we have, right? Everyone has to have sushi, whether it's a bris, a bar ba- mitzvah, Chasin today, everything seems to want to have a uh, have, have have sushi. Now there are only a few companies that make nori that are very careful about insects. It seems that there are seahorses and other crustaceans that grow in the that are found in seaweed in the natural habitat. So the the appropriate thing is they should be each sheet has to be examined properly in order to guarantee. I'm not making any statements about any process of any particular hashkocha, but what I want to tell you is about this particular alert. It's very, very important to understand. I'm going to read the article, the, the, the report's four lines. Nori sheets from China revised Kafka alert. Recently, possibly due to the current shortage, several brands of nori sheets have been circulating with unauthorized Kafka symbols. That means to say, we don't know the names of them, but it seems that for some reason Kafka was the lucky winner that people are using their name. And it says, i got to explain it to you again, it says several brands of Nori sheets have been circulating with unauthorized Kafka. Now, why is it unauthorized? Because the Kafka does not give them certification. They just stuck it on. Now, could it be that places that are under Ashkocha bought this? Absolutely. Could it be that people bought this not knowing that it's not under Ashkocha? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Kafka does not certify any nori produced in China. And this is we're talking about or all Chinese brands that are putting on a cuff K. How many? He doesn't say, but he said several brands. So it's not just one, probably is several is usually means three or more. Now, are other Hashkachas also experiencing this? I don't know. This is coming out from the Cuff K. 
The following brands are only nori sheets that Kuf K currently certifies. I can't pronounce this, but it says Delessandro brand from Woodland Foods and Yamamotayama, which actually is not from Japan. It's Yamamotayama. There is a company called that in Japan, and maybe it's the parent organization. But the Yamamotayama company that uh, the Cuff case certifies is actually out in California. But these are the only two companies that certify, and there are a number, which means more than the two, that are running around putting on Cuff case. Now, how did that happen? I'll tell you what happened. These, uh, the Yamatamayama, which is actually in Japan, is probably something that the people in China saw, or they saw other products that come with the Cuff K, they saw it there, and they stuck it on. Now, because Cuff K is not something that you would normally, uh, it's, not, it's not something that's usually uh, uh, copied. You know, the OK can get on a lot of things. OU can get on a lot of things. There's certain, certain, uh, certain symbols that are very easy to, to confuse, but that several are using this for nori is really very interesting. Now, the next one is, by me, a major one, even though I've never seen the product. It's called Health Garden Coconut Sugar. Health Garden Coconut Sugar. The New Square Cautious Council announced that the last shipment of this product was found to be infested and that consumers should refrain from using this product until further notice. Now, originally, they said they were going to put out a list of which, um, which, uh, uh, which UPC codes or which uh, end user dates, some kind of symbol that you'd be able to tell which were the good guys and which are the bad guys. But I contacted them when the initial um, announcement went out, and they told me, currently, everything is no good. Health Garden Coconut Sugar. Okay, you know, coconut, I don't think of, I don't think of it as having insects in it. Um, sugar, for certainly not. What coconut sugar is, I really don't know. And Health Garden, I'm not familiar with. But obviously, uh, New Square was giving a shkocha on this, and they found it infested. When I called them, they said that it happened a few years ago, too. So this is definitely a product that you should be careful about, Health Garden Coconut Sugar. The next thing I want to share with you, it's a small item, it's, you know, it's, we hear it all the time, but it's interesting. There are a number of uh, products that are actually, uh, they, they don't have a Dina on it, and it's uh, really dairy. So... Uh, that's, you know, a very common problem. One is Wellesley Farms Mini Crispy Chocolate Chip Cookies. That's a mouthful, right? Wellesley Farms, that's the name of the company that makes it, Mini Crispy Chocolate Chip Cookies. By the way, I tried to research this a little bit, and I got that everywhere they were saying the name differently. The crispy was before the chip, and the chip was before the chocolate, and it kept moving around. It seemed no matter how many times you say it, because there's five words, somehow it doesn't go in proper order. But that's it. Wellesley Farms Mini Crispy Chocolate Chip Cookies says OU, it's OUD. 
Bazzini dark chocolate pecans, OU, is OUD. Um, another one from the CRC, soft-baked classic cookie double chocolate chip. It says, it says CRC, it's dairy. Now, this is a very common error, and it's, um, it, it, it happens very often. I don't know how the... Um, I don't know how it happens in each plant, why they're making the error and, and leaving off the D, but you can see that in the ones we mentioned, it was chocolate. Chocolate lends itself to that because it's hard to tell from the way it looks whether the chocolate chips are parvo or dairy and whether the chocolate is parvo or dairy. So since those are not very clear, so it's very understandable that they sometimes make an error it's in their plant, and they're going ahead and uh, saying the wrong, the wrong symbol on it, OU or, OU or CRC instead of, C, instead of dairy. Um, it would be ideal if the cashless agencies were able to examine all the labels before they're put on, before the new company is coming out with it. But it could happen anyway, because uh, unless you're there 24-7, you know, 365, it could happen because the product is put into a freezer, into, a, into some kind of a, a, a housing, and then afterwards put into boxes. So we don't have uh, where it goes right away into the boxes. Very often it goes into a, into a different f place where it's held and then put into the boxes. So it's very easy in the packaging to put the wrong thing in the packaging. Just like we had recently questions about the uh, blintzes from the, from the part of a potato blintzes to the, the milk and cheese blintzes, how in the world could you make a mistake between cheese and, and uh, potato? Everybody knows the difference. Because it's inside the blintzer, and you stuffed them in here, and it's very easy to have uh, taken something out. There was part of it was used up, part not, sitting in the freezer, and you're sticking it into boxes, and you forgot which this is. They look the same from the outside. So too the chocolate chips and the chocolate, and the uh, chocolate. It looks the same, and it's very easy for people to make the mistake. So even if they were careful on having proper packaging, but whether the right thing got into that package. Well, that's where probably a lot of these errors are occurring. It gets a little more interesting on the next one. And this is where you really have to speak to the company, speak to the Ashkocha, or speak to your Rav. I'm going to read one to you that you're going to see afterwards is not very, very clear to us. Uh, Julian Recipe Brussels-style paleo-Belgian waffles. So that's a mouthful also. Julian's recipe, Brussels, that's a country probably, style paleo. Paleo is this new, new way of eating. It's old foods. It's basic foods. That's called paleo. So paleo-Belgian waffles. I don't understand the Brussels-style Belgian waffles, whatever it is, but that's what it is. In original and matcha flavors, mistakenly bears a plain OK symbol. They are actually, listen to this, part of ingredients on dairy equipment. So even though it says OK, it's just an OK DE. What does that mean? Is it could be actually really milchik? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. You'd have to speak to the Hashkocha agency to find out whether the product, the dairy equipment there could actually have a dairy component or it's just run on the machinery. 
uh, people who are nizir and chalv Yisrael mika adin, they would be careful about it. Other people wouldn't be so careful about it. But sometimes dairy equipment means there's actual milk product in it because it's left over. It, 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 it's like you're running some, through something that has residue. Then that's what you have to ask the kashrus agency. Another uh, recent alert, I'm just sharing this with you for an example, is from uh, Chef's Warehouse, that's from uh, Vancouver, Canada, um, British Columbia. So Chef's Warehouse makes a product called Crisp Strawberry Chocolate Decor Pearls. Again, Crisp Strawberry Chocolate Decor Pearls. Strawberry chocolate, you know, it's, it's both flavors. And it, it's the pearls. So he says that they say over here that it, it bears an unauthorized OU. But that's not what's interesting to me. What I'm trying to talk to you about now is the next few words. This is what appears in all the OU um, listings of these, um, these kosher alerts when they have a problem. And we'll, you'll see in a second what I mean. If you see this product in the marketplace, please provide details to kosher Q, kosher and the letter Q, at OU.org. That stands for kosher questions. Kosher Q at OU.org. In other words, they need you to scatter it out. Very often it tells you, you know, that, um, that they've rectified it, corrective action has been taken. They don't need your help anymore. When you see one of these ads, when, they, when it comes out and it says, let them know if you see it, it's a big mitzvah to let them know. Because what happens is, this product, they haven't located the distribution area yet. This is not a company that they certify. So they're not familiar exactly where this is coming up, where it's going out. We've seen, for example, that two years later, a product that was mislabeled comes back again. It's being sold in a dollar store. It's, you know, it makes a second, <laughs> a second life. Sometimes it's even been sent out of the country because it's not a kosher product and comes back into the country and gets sold in the dollar stores. So it has a, sometimes a second life. But these ads, these advertisements that you see over here when they say, if you see it, please contact, whether it's the OUOK, CuffK, StarK, whoever it is, it means that we don't have a handle on it yet. And that's why it's very important to keep your own eyes open. If you do see the product, don't figure, well, they probably got it all by now, because they don't. I remember Rabbi uh, Fishbane from the CRC came into New York. I can't remember exactly what he was here for, I think he appeared on my show then, at the time when he came, and I believe he appeared on my show, uh, this show, uh, and, and uh, he told me, I think he said it on air too, but he, he told me that he, he uh, had been in some facilities, uh, stores, and he saw a product that was mislabeled that's his. It's a CRC mislabeling, and he bought the product up. He bought it up. In the particular case, it was a dairy product that um, didn't say dairy on it. And it wasn't Chal Israel. 
and it was uh, and it was being sold in Borough Park, because he's he's coming from Chicago over there. Not as many people in Israel on the Chal of Israel, and anyway, it was mislabeled and it was uh, notified somehow. Um, but he was here in New York area, and he was in Borough Park, and he got a hold of this. He saw the product in the store, and he bought some up. And then he saw some people who were, and he asked them, you machmed on Chal Bistroy? He said, no, he said, he's here, so give me, let me give it to you. So he gave it to some people. But the point is, he actually bought up the product himself and made sure that no one was misled. A beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Not, not, but we need help from all of you out there. And therefore, if you do see these products, report it to the cautious agencies. Tell them where you saw it. They're very happy. I told you the story in the beginning of tonight that the Badatsa Yedachavedis says, I want that picture. I want to see that product. I want to find out where it is. So we're getting it over to them. Going, I'm going over in a few minutes to pick up the product. I found out where it is. And I'm believing that I'm, believing that I'm picking it up tonight and getting a copy over to them uh, in Israel right away. So by tomorrow morning, well, in Israel, it'll be tomorrow morning, they'll be able to handle it right away. So I want to thank all of you for listening. This has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. If you're interested in getting the Kashrus Magazine, Kashrus Monthly, uh, the Kosher Supervision Guide, the Kosher Travel Guide to all the uh, 418 uh, st- uh, cities across the United States of America, or the Kosher Supervision Guide to 1,493 Kashrus agencies in the world. You can contact us, 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363, or you can send us an email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Until next week, this has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, wishing you a wonderful week.